Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We're going to open up to Mark chapter 15. We're going to take a look at verses 21 through 47. And the title of tonight's lesson is Jesus Endured It All. Jesus Endured It All. So, of course, many of this is going to sound familiar to you because we just celebrated Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Um, But this is where we are in our lesson as we go uh, verse by verse uh, through the gospel according to Mark. So let's go ahead and go before the Lord. In prayer once again. So, Father God, we thank you once again t- that you allow us to spend time with you in your word and to come to you in prayer. We pray, Father, that, Lord, if there's any sin in our lives, that you forgive us. We pray, Father, for understanding of your word, for application, for fresh insight. Maybe there's something we haven't seen before as we study these uh, scriptures tonight, Lord, and Oh, we pray that you would give us fresh insight if there's something that you really want to stand out to us. And I do pray for a timely word, a seasonal word. You know exactly what we need to hear at this time, Lord. And so we're praying for that type of word, Lord. And I pray for the gift of teaching and that I would decrease and you increase, Lord, and be glorified through this teaching, be glorified throughout the remainder of this service. And Father, I just pray that you bless my brothers and sisters in Christ right now who are here or who are, who are watching right now. And Lord, that you would equip them through this study and stir, a, stir up a heart in them, a heart of gratitude, a heart, Lord, of service, a heart of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, early Friday morning, when there was daylight, I remember in our last study, Jesus stood before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And they made their midnight decision to condemn Jesus to death official. Now, the religious charge was blasphemy. And the political charge that they gave to Jesus as he stood before Pilate was treason or sedition. Because remember, the Jewish religious leaders made it seem that Jesus was a threat to the Roman government. And so they emphasized to Pilate that Jesus claimed to be a king, that he misled the nation and he forbade people to pay taxes to Caesar. And so, again, the political charge was sedition. However, Pilate, this is Pontius Pilate, he didn't see Jesus as a threat. And he saw no reason to crucify him or to put him to death. In fact, Pontius Pilate tried to get out of sentencing Jesus to crucifixion or to be crucified. But as we've seen in the studies, as we heard on Good Friday and maybe on Resurrection Sunday, we see that the voices of the Jewish religious leaders in that crowd, we saw that their voices prevailed and Pilate wanting to satisfy or please the people, he gave in to their demands to sentence Jesus to death. And so we see that Jesus was scourged and the flesh on his back at this point was shredded and it was bloody. We saw that a crown of thorns was placed on his head by Roman soldiers and he was beaten. He was spit on. We saw that Jesus was mocked and he was led out to be crucified or hung on a cross. And according to John chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus was able to bear his cross and walk. But that only lasted for a little while. We don't know how long, but all we know that it was short lived. And I know that it was short-lived because verse 21 of our lesson tonight in Mark 15 says that then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. 
as he was coming out of the country and passing by, they compelled this man to bear Jesus' cross. And so, yes, he was a Cyrenian, which means that he was from Cyrene. And it was a port city in present-day Libya, which is located in North Africa. And Simon, at this time, was, he was probably visiting Jerusalem for the Passover, As we see in these scriptures here, he was minding his own business and he was just passing by when he was pressed or forced by the Roman soldier to carry Jesus's cross. It really wasn't the entire cross. It was the cross beam or the horizontal wooden piece of the cross that he would have to carry. And according to Luke chapter 23, verse 26, Simon was carrying the cross behind Jesus. Now, normally the criminal, after being beaten, normally they were the one who carried the cross beam to the execution site. You see, that was humiliating to the criminal. And it was also a warning to others of what would happen to them if they were to step step out of line and come against the Roman government. But Jesus who was being treated as the criminal at this point. He was too weak to carry his cross any farther, and he was too beaten up. His back was too shredded. And who knows how the conditions of his eyes were because his, his face was beaten. Even the night before, he was beaten early on this same morning, crown of thorns on his head. I'm sure he was thirsty and dehydrated, lost a lot of blood. Now, there's water in blood, and so I'm I'm sure he lost a lot of water. He agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm sure he was concerned, and he was in agony about facing the wrath of his father, drinking that cup of the father's wrath. All of that was going on. He had a sleepless night, and so he was too weak to carry his cross any farther. And in Luke 23, 27, it says, And a great multitude of people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. Now, just threw that verse in there. You're going to see me do that throughout the study of Mark because we want to fill in the blanks. And so you see there in Luke 23, 27, that... Jesus made time to speak with the women, if you were to continue to read past verse 27, actually, because in Luke 23, verses 28 through 31, Jesus gives these ladies a prophecy because these ladies, they're mourning and he prophesies about Jerusalem being destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. Now, he doesn't just say that flat out. But, but if you read it carefully, again, in Luke 23, verses 28 through 31, that's what Jesus is getting at. But even in this moment, as, as he's tired and beaten and bloodied and back is shredded and cut open, even then he still makes time to speak to these women who were following him in this crowd and who were weeping and mourning. But I wonder tonight how many of us would set aside time in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trial to share the word of God with someone? How many of times have you done that when you didn't feel like it or maybe you had a bad day at work or you had a bad day at home, but but yet and still when there's an opportunity to share the word of God with someone, you made time for that and you did that out of obedience to the Lord. You see, Jesus did that. He, He shared what would be, of course, bad news, but it was still from the word of God. It was still prophecy. He made time for that, even in the midst of his suffering and pain on his way to Golgotha. And in verse 22 of Mark 15, it says, and they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Now, Golgotha is an Aramaic name, and it means just what it says there, place of a skull. It's the name of a place that is outside of the city gate or it's outside of the city wall of Jerusalem, but it was also near the city. And it was probably called the place of a skull because maybe the form of the hill was in the shape of a skull. 
Or it could be it received that name because of the many skulls that was there from all of those people who've been crucified on that hill. But in Luke 23:33, the same place called Gotha is also called Calvary, which is Latin, but it still means place of the skull. In Mark 15:23, it says, "Then they gave him wine, or, or they gave him vinegar that was mixed with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments. Or his clothes, and they were casting lots for his clothes to determine what every man should take. Now, at the crucifixion site, the prisoner was often tied, which was the normal method, or they were nailed if the Romans wanted to inflict greater pain to that cross beam. Now, this nail will be driven through the wrist. It would go through the cluster of nerves that, that fed into the hand. And this beam with the bloody body was lifted and tied to the upright pole that was already planted in the ground. Now this is, remember what crucifixion looks like. Now these pins or a small wooden block were sometimes placed halfway up to provide a seat for the body. Lest the nails tear open the wounds. Or the ropes pulled the victim's arms from the sockets. And that's because, of course, the weight of the body pulling it down. At other times, no such seat was provided. And the victim suffered not only dislocated shoulders, but an inability to breathe as his body sagged down on his hands and constricted his chest. And so crucifixion, this method of torturing and killing someone, made it hard for this victim to breathe. And notice this about the feet. Now the feet were tied or they were nailed to the post. Now another source says that putting the weight of the body on the nail pierced feet produced searing pain. And flexing the elbows twisted the hands that were hanging on the nails. Now death usually occurred due to the loss of blood circulation for someone who's being crucified or a person could die due to suffocation or even heart failure, even dehydration. Now, death, of course, for crucified victims, it didn't come quickly. It can take days for this person to die as they were up there on that cross. And sometimes what would happen is that their extremities their arms, for example, would, would slowly turn gangrenous or develop gangrene on it. And then, of course, the victim would no longer hold himself upright so he can take in air. And so they have to pretty much pull themselves up with the nail in the feet, the nails in the hands, to pull themselves up just to take a breath. And can you imagine with Jesus' back already being shredded and him already being weak? Can you imagine him doing that and the wombs being torn open each and every time he raised up to breathe? Now, often what would happen, and we'll see this later on, often what happened was that the soldiers would break the victim's legs with a club. And that would prevent the victim from thrusting upward with his legs so they can breathe. And victims were usually crucified in public places. And the body was usually left to rot for days. And these carrion birds or these birds that fed on this rotting flesh were allowed to degrade the, the corpse even further. And so crucifixion was devastating. It was scary. And not only was it a time of suffering and led to the death of the person on that cross who was being crucified, but it was also a warning to others. Now, what makes this even more humiliating is that Jesus was naked on that cross. Remember, they, they took his clothes and they even gambled for his clothes. So he was naked on that cross. It's very humiliating and painful experience. Now, these soldiers divided Jesus's garments among themselves, as we see there in verse 24. And when it came to his tunic, which was the undergarment, usually with sleeves, 
they didn't want to tear it because remember it didn't have any seams in it and it was woven in one piece and so instead of tearing his undergarment they cast lots for it they gambled for it and that by the way was prophesied in the old testament Psalm twenty two eighteen. look at how accurate the word of God is. It says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, in Luke 23, verse 34, and I'm just going to read the first part of verse 34. It says, then Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. So, Father, forgive them. And the reason I included that verse in tonight's study is because Jesus gave seven final sayings from the cross. And that's the first one. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we continue in Mark 15, verse 25. It says, now was the third hour. In other words, it was, it was nine in the morning and they crucified Jesus. And there, the inscription of his accusation was written above. It said the king of the Jews. But now when you take the other gospel accounts into consideration to see what was written, the sign most likely stated is this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The scriptures tell us that it was written in Greek, in Latin, and also in Hebrew. And so these various language people can read what was Jesus's charge. They can read why he was being crucified or put to death. And according to John chapter 19, verse 21, the chief priests or these lead priests, they went to Pilate. That is, again, Pontius Pilate. And they were upset about the sign. They were upset that it says the king of the Jews. They wanted it to say, he said. I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, and finally, he develops a backbone. So Pilate answered him, what I have written, I have written. You see, what was on the sign was actually meant to be an accusation against Jesus or his charge. It was also a warning that, hey, if you do what this guy did, this is what's going to happen to you. So, yes, it was a warning But it also should have served as an eye opener to what they were really doing by crucifying Jesus. When they when they read those words, although it was written to be an accusation or a charge, it should have hit them in a different way. They should have they should have thought about those signs and those miracles that Jesus did and and the words that he spoke and. They should have saw those words or seen those words and said, you know what? There is something to that saying there. There is something to that accusation. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the the king of the Jews. Should have served as an eye opener to what they were really doing. Those words should have slapped them and made them realize that, hey, we're, we're mocking the king. We're mocking the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And it shall also be an eye opener for all of us too and to other people when they mock Jesus and when they sin. When people sin and they hurt other people, when they say things they shouldn't say, when they do things they shouldn't do, it should be an eye opener for them when they read these scriptures or listen to these scriptures and, and make them think and And realize that, hey, when I sin or when I say things I'm not supposed to say, I'm I'm sinning against the king. I'm sinning against the Lord of Lord. I'm sinning against the creator. I'm not just sinning against this other person. I'm not just offending this other individual. But what I'm really doing is sinning against God. Well, that too should serve as an eye opener to people and to each and every one of us. In verse 27 in Mark 15, it says, with him, that is with Jesus, they also crucified two robbers. And these were also probably insurrectionists. And many believe that these were people who were also running with Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist and murderer and robber. But there was one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus, of course, was in the center, John 19, 18. And so this scripture was fulfilled 
which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Which scripture? Isaiah 53, verse 12. So Jesus, you can see a picture of this as he is there being crucified between two known criminals. As you see there in that picture, he's identifying with sinful man because he died as if he were a criminal along with two other criminals or two robbers. Now, these two robbers, by the way, were dying because of their own sin. Jesus was dying, not because of anything he did, but he was dying on our behalf. He was dying because of our sin. And as we think about that, and we really stand back and and think about it and look at that, these men dying for their own sins, speaking of the robbers, but Jesus dying on behalf of our sin. He didn't really do anything. As we really think about that, we can see the, the choices people can make. You can either be like the robbers or these criminals, and you can die for your own sins. In other words, you receive the penalty for your own sins by being separated from God for eternity. It is an eternal quarantine, so to speak. You can do that, just like these robbers did, or you can align yourself with Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, the King of kings, Lord of lords. You can align yourself with him, the one who took the penalty for you and for me. Align yourself with him. Scriptures say that we're saved by grace through faith. That means salvation is a gift. It's offered because of what Jesus did, because he paid the penalty for our sin. And of course, he rose from the grave. So we don't want to leave it there at his death. But we're saved by grace through faith. Grace, the gift of salvation is available to all, but it is to be received only through faith. And so we can see these choices people can make. You can die spiritually dead, receive the penalty for your own sins, or align yourself with Christ. Verse 29, and those who passed by, they blasphemed or they insulted Jesus. They were wagging their heads as a sign of contempt. And they were saying, aha, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes and the elders. And and they said, he saved others himself. He cannot save. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Matthew 27, 43, if you want to write it down, says that he trusted in God. And they're mocking him. Remember, let let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even those, even the robbers who were crucified with him, they insulted him. They reviled him as well. See, these people are mocking Jesus and they're telling him to save himself and to give proof that he really is the king, that he really is the Christ, the king of Israel. Luke 23 36 even tells us that even the soldiers were mocking Jesus. And and guess what? Thank God that Jesus didn't listen to them. Thank God that Jesus didn't come down from the cross and save himself. Because if he would have done that, if he would have listened to them to prove a point, then all of us would be lost. There would be no chance for us to be saved because man cannot save himself. A woman cannot save herself. Because if a person just tries to be good and check off a list of trying to obey the law on their own and in their own energy and flesh, they're going to fail every time. But the law was designed to point out our sin and to show us how far we are from reaching the standard, the perfect standard of God. It's meant to show us that we need some help, that we need a savior. And so left to ourselves. We would just have somebody on the shore. If you want to picture yourself drowning, I know that's a bad analogy, but if you picture yourself in water right now drowning, you can picture the law as standing there on the side of the pool or on the shore and they're just screaming out, hey, you know, start moving your arms, start kicking your feet. So the law is telling you what to do, but it's not jumping in to help you. See, the law is like that. The law shows us what's right and wrong, but 
The law doesn't give any power to save us. It doesn't give us any power to live right, to, to obey it. You see, but under Jesus, you see what Jesus does, not only does he tell us what's right and what's wrong, but he sees us drowning and he states the obvious that, hey, you're drowning. But guess what he does? He is the lifeguard. He actually jumps in and he actually saves us. You see, we need a savior and praise God. He didn't listen to these people who were mocking him and thank God that he stayed on that cross. But bigger picture in mind, I want you to step back from this example and think big picture, because when we think of that particular example in our lesson, I want you to thank God also that he always does not answer the prayers the way we want him to. We should thank God that he doesn't always give us what we want in prayers. We should thank God that he doesn't always, never takes our suggestions, actually. We should thank him that he's able to run the universe, the universe better than we can. And so he didn't take their suggestions. He didn't take up their dare, but he knew what he had to do when he stayed on that cross. But now one of the criminals who was insulting Jesus he eventually came to his senses. And so here's the scripture in, in Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. It says, then one of the criminals who were hanged, they blasphemed him. And they said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then this man, one of the robbers said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that is the second of the seven sayings of Jesus while he was on that cross. And then in John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, it says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the, disciples whom, and the disciple whom he loved, speaking of John, he saw them standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, from that point, that disciple took her into his home. And there you see when Jesus spoke to his mom, Mary, and he spoke to John, there you see the third of the seven uh, sayings of Jesus from the cross. You know, back in Mark 15, verse 33, it says, Now when the sixth hour or noon had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's, that is until 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what Jesus spoke, of course, was in the Aramaic language. And what he spoke was actually a quote from Psalm 22, verse 1, again, from the Old Testament. And so what you see there when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Mark 15, 34, what you see there is the fourth of the saying sayings of Jesus from the cross. You see, Jesus felt forsaken by God the Father. In other words, he could not sense the presence of God. He couldn't sense his Father's presence. Now, I mentioned this before, so I'll note this again. This separation or this break in fellowship was, was from the point of Jesus' humanity because there could not be a break in the divine nature. Because the scriptures tell us, and I believe it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the Lord changes not. And so if there was a break, a true break in the divine nature of Jesus, then the Lord would change. But he says, I change not. So this break in fellowship was from the, the human nature of Jesus. And so we always have to remember that when we're reading about Jesus in the scriptures that he has Two natures in one person, fully God and fully man. But the point is, he felt forsaken by God. And as bad as crucifixion was physically, experiencing a break in his fellowship with the Father and facing the Father's wrath were even worse. 
Now, some years back, I believe I was 16 years old, I played a foolish game. I shouldn't even call it a game, but the so-called fainting game. And I was just being silly, and my friend was supposed to stand behind me, and I did what I was supposed to do in this little fainting thing. And it never worked before. I used to trick the kids and get up and start chasing them, you know, pretending I, was, I fainted and everything. Then I'd get up and run after them. But this time, I remember it was after track practice. I was already tired. We were bored. And so, hey, let's do the fainting thing. And guess what happened? I really fainted. And my friend behind me didn't catch me. And I fell right on my chin, busted my face, and broke my jaw. And now I have metal on my chin and some on the left side of my jaw. You know, and so I have metal face. Don't call me that, but yeah. (laughs) No, I won't care. I'll laugh. But... But yeah, that was a painful experience. I didn't feel it because I was knocked out. But after I got up, of course, the pain began to set in. But as bad as that injury was and as bad as some of your physical injuries are, nothing, and I assure you, nothing could be worse than being separated from God for eternity and suffering that second death, which is the lake of fire. You see, verse 20, 35, I should say, in, in Mark 15, it says, some of those who stood by when they heard that, they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. John chapter 19, verse 28. If you want to turn there. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said this, I thirst. And that would be the fifth of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. Now, back in Mark 15, 36, then someone ran and they filled a sponge full of sour wine or vinegar. They put it on the reed and they offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. You see this sour wine or this vinegar, it was an inexpensive drink and it was used by soldiers and slaves And this was actually part of them mocking Jesus. And then if you want to write down or turn to John 19, verse 30, you're going to see the six of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. In John 19, 30, it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. So what is Jesus talking about? What is finished? The payment for sin has been accomplished. The payment for sin is completed. Therefore, if people pay the consequences of their own sin in hell, it's because they chose to. It's not because the the debt wasn't paid. Oh, it was paid. We just didn't put our faith in him. But we continue in verse 37 and Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And by the way, this was a shout of victory, by the way. This, this cry was a shout of victory. And this is what he said in, in Luke 23, verse 46. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Matthew 27, 50 says he yielded up his spirit. But I do want to point out to you that when he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That is the seventh of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. But I want to focus on the point that he yielded up his spirit or he said, Lord, I entrust my spirit to you. And so we see that Jesus voluntarily dismissed his spirit from his body. And in John 10, verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. Nobody had to snatch Jesus' life. He couldn't have gone to the, he wouldn't have gone to the cross if he didn't want to. But he wanted to be obedient to the father and he willingly obeyed the father. He wanted to obey the will of the father. And he says, I have the power to lay it down, to lay my life down, and I have the power to take up my life again. And this command I have received from my father. In Mark 15, 38, we continue, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
Matthew 27 adds this information. It says that the earth had quaked and the rocks were split. So all this stuff was going on as Jesus was, as Jesus died. And back in Mark 15, verse 39. So when this centurion, this Roman officer who commanded about a hundred men, when, when, when he who stood opposite him, he stood in front of the cross, he was facing Jesus. When he saw that, he saw what happened. He saw that Jesus cried out like this and then breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was a son of God. Truly, he was the son of God. You see, this, this veil uh, tearing, this veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the temple, that, that veil tearing actually means something. Because I see this as permission that God is given to man. I see this not only as permission, but as an invitation from God to man to, to come to me fellowship with me, enter into a personal relationship with me. But of course, it would have to be through Jesus, but because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So therefore, there's no human mediator. There's no human high priest. No one is necessary. We can have direct access to the Father. And that's the significance of this veil being torn and this centurion he concluded that Jesus is the son of God, that he was a righteous man. After seeing all these things, he concluded that. But now in Luke 23, verse 48, it says, And the whole crowd came together to that site, seeing what had been done. And it says that they beat their breast and returned. And back in Mark 15, verse 40, it says, There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene. There was Mary, the mother of James the Less, or James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In verse 41 of Mark 15, it says, They also followed him and ministered to Jesus when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And even today, even today, as we see these faithful women in the scriptures, because remember, many of the disciples, they dispersed, they ran, they scattered. When Jesus was arrested, Peter is hurt right now at this point. Because remember, he denied Christ three times. He's hurt. He's not around. But these ladies are here. These ladies who followed him and ministered to him in Galilee, they're here. And just as those women were faithful, I see many faithful women today in the church. And guess what? The ladies, the young ladies of today, they, they need the godly examples of the elder women. They need the godly examples of, of any godly woman, to be honest. You see, ladies, you can have a nice figure. You can have a beautiful face. You can have a nice hair, but none of it matters if you don't have Jesus. See, the best thing about you shouldn't be your body. It shouldn't be your clothes. The, the best thing about you should be your loyalty and love for Jesus. And that goes for young men as well. And for all men, for that matter, the best thing about you shouldn't be your muscles. The best thing about you shouldn't be your goatee. The best thing about you shouldn't be your fresh haircut or shoes or car. But it should be your love and loyalty for Jesus. You know, in John chapter 19, verses 31 through 37, what you get there is a revelation that the Jews had asked Pilate for the, that, that the legs of the criminals on the cross be broken because the Sabbath day, the rest day was drawing near and, and they didn't want to leave the bodies on the cross. They didn't want to leave those dead bodies there. And so you read there in, in John 19, verses 31 to 37, you, you read that they only broke the legs of the criminals who were still alive. But when they got to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because it says he was already dead. But guess what? Even that, even that was prophecy because in John 19, 36, it says, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. You see, Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's the lamb who came to take away the sins of the whole world. And the scriptures tell us, especially in Exodus 12, 46, that they were not to break 
the legs or a bone in the body of that Passover lamb. And so you see fulfillment of prophecy here. But you also learn from those scriptures that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side and out came water and blood. Verse 42, now when the evening had come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. And the day before the Sabbath was, of course, on Friday. And the Sabbath actually began at sunset on Friday. And so... Now it's that time and Joseph of Arimathea, which was a city of the Jews, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage. He went into Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus and Pilate marveled. He was amazed that Jesus was already dead. And he summoned the centurion or the Roman officer and he asked him if he had been dead for some time. And so when he found out from the centurion He granted the body to Joseph of Arimathea, and then he bought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And so this Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the Jewish high court, and he was a rich man. He was described as a just man, as a good man. And it says that he was not in agreement with sentencing Jesus to death. But it also says that he was a secret follower of Christ because he was afraid of the Jews. But right now he took courage. And yes, it took courage on his part because it indirectly shows that he is aligning himself with Jesus, someone who's been sentenced to death. Oh, I wonder tonight if anybody lately has been a secret Christian, if you've been a secret follower of Christ. If that's the case, we need to repent and we need to come out of that closet and And glorify God in the way we live and glorify him in letting people know who we align ourselves with, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that we align ourselves with Jesus. We should never be a closet Christian. In fact, it really takes real courage. You see, people are redefining courage these days, but this is real courage to come out as a Christian, as a Christ follower. And I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the culture. The Jesus who loves and accepts everything is okay. That's the Jesus of the culture. That's a lie. But no, I'm talking about the, the Jesus of the Bible to align yourself with him publicly and go against the grain. That's, that's true courage as we see what's happening here with Joseph of Arimathea. But this Pilate, he was amazed that Jesus had died so soon. Because remember earlier when I talked about crucifixion, some people could stay up there for days and not die. You see, but that proves to us that Jesus was in control that whole time. Now, after Pilate released the body to Joseph, Joseph wrapped his body in fine linen. And in John 19, verses 39 through 40, we find out that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, He actually brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and helped wrap the body of Jesus. And it says, and he laid him in the tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where Jesus was laid. And then in Luke 23, 56, will be an appropriate stop to the story. Luke 23, 56 says, then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now, this new tomb in which no one has ever been laid was located in a garden near the crucifixion site. See, as we see this story and as we wrap up tonight's lesson, it should not pass us by. When we think about when G- what Jesus endured, because in reality, as we see here, Jesus endured it all. <laughs> what did Jesus endure? He endured his disciples leaving him. Jesus endured being betrayed. He endured the false witnesses. He endured the beating. He endured the mocking. He endured the spitting and the sleepless nights. He endured the scourging and he endured the thorns on his head. He endured the fact that 
he was leaving and his mom was still on earth. And so he took care of that situation and he endured being forsaken by the father. But something that stands out as a picture or should stand out as a picture of Jesus purposely enduring all that he went through. Something that should stand out as a picture of him enduring the wrath of the Father on our behalf is when Jesus refused to take the wine that was mingled with myrrh in verse 23 because this myrrh had a narcotic or a drug-like effect to it and it dulled the senses. You see, but remember, Jesus wanted to endure it all. He wanted to take it on full force. See, he would experience and endure it all with a clear mind. He didn't want any narcotics involved. He didn't want the myrrh involved with that vinegar. He wanted a clear mind. Jesus did not take any shortcuts when it came to paying for our sins and securing the fact that we all can be savable. Jesus didn't take any shortcuts with that. And when you see all that he endured, you, you see how serious sin is. You also see how much he loves us and you see how thorough he was in his payment of sin on our behalf because Jesus, once again, he endured it all and he endured all of it so we wouldn't have to. And that's one main thing I want you to take from that. He endured it all so you wouldn't have to endure it. So what is there left for us to do? If he endured it all, if he took it all, if he paid it all, what is there left, left for us to do? And that is to, number one, trust in him for salvation. And not just for salvation, but we are to trust in him to help us in our walk. You see, we need his strength. Even in our walk, we need grace, not just for salvation, but to help us to live the life he wants us to live. What else are we to do? We're to trust in him during our times of pain and our times of suffering. And many of us suffer. I'm not talking about suffering because of us paying a penalty for our sins, but I'm talking about suffering as Christians because of the presence of sin in the world. I'm talking about suffering as Christians because of the demons, the demonic entities, our enemies. And so we're to trust in him. Trust in the one who endured it all as the worship team comes to the, cha- to the stage. Now, this is also what I want you to do. I want you to consider this. Consider that in all the things in our lives that are challenging and hurtful, and in all our time of complaining and, and all our time of wanting to give up. And maybe some people have even thrown in the towel and maybe you're just standing on the edge of this stage metaphorically or standing on the edge of a cliff metaphorically and, and you're about to throw in that towel right now. And in all those times of wanting to give up and right there at the precipice of giving up, And all those challenging times and and all those times of arguing and all those times of pain and suffering. I, I want you to think about all that Jesus went through. I want you to think about all that Jesus had endured. And when you think about those challenges that you face, when you think about the fact that you don't want to do this anymore. But as you think of Jesus, I also want you to ask this question. As you really look at Jesus and you weigh what you're going through, I want you to ask yourself, now, what was I complaining about again? What what was that again? What was our problem again? Because Jesus endured it all and we can't complain because he suffered like no one has suffered. And as we go through those challenges and times of complaining and wanting to give up, we can also ask ourselves, what can't God understand? Oh, Jesus understands. He can sympathize with us. He's a faithful high priest. He's the only one who could perfectly represent man to God and God to man. And that's what the priest did. But this is the perfect and eternal high priest. He can truly do that and sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he suffered and he endured it all. And 
As we think about those trials that we've been going through. And once again, the complaining that we've been sending up to God. We also need to ask ourselves, what can't the Almighty bring us through? Is there anything that is impossible for him? As you think about those challenges. As you think about the pain. As you think about the state of the world, as you think about those problems in your family, the issues at work, your financial issues, as you really think about that, is there anything that God doesn't understand and that he can't bring us through? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus endured it all. And as we look at the life of Jesus, And we weigh our complaints on the other hand. We really have nothing to complain about because we have a Savior who endured it all. We have a Savior who we can trust in and who will help us through our issues. We serve you, our Heavenly Father, who love us and can help us to make it through all of the issues and the hurt and the pain and the things that we go through, Father, and forgive us when we complain, Lord. Forgive us for our past complaints and help us to be praisers instead of complainers from this point forward, Father. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus not only suffered and died, but was resurrected. And so we serve a risen Savior. And I pray for anyone tonight, Lord, who is struggling They're going through something hurtful, Father, and they just can't see an end in sight. They don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I pray, Father, that they will see that you are the light. Oh, Lord, even in eternity, it says that there won't be a need of the sun or the moon because you will be as light. And so I pray that they will look to you, Lord as that light at the end of the tunnel when they're in the midst of dark times, Father, and not only just for the future, but right now, the midst of the dark times, that they will look to you, Lord, the light, the one who gives wisdom, the one who makes a way out of no way, that they will look to you, Father, the one who makes the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. That they will look to you, Father, the God who answers prayer. That they will look to you, God, the one who is the lover of our soul. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for another night. Thank you for allowing me to serve you tonight, Lord. Thank you for my brothers and sisters and their attentiveness and their love for you, Lord, as they study your word tonight. And I just pray that you would equip them and use them in a mighty way this week. That you bless them on the way home, Father, and just give them that traveling grace, Father. And Lord, this Good Friday and Resurrection Day we just celebrated, may that be something we always remember and celebrate, not just on those certain days. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit Calvary Queen Creek. Dot org.